All right, so this morning we're looking at all of chapter 6 of Ecclesiastes. So turn to Ecclesiastes 6. Ecclesiastes 6. It says, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun that is prevalent among men, a man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a severe affliction. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things and he does not even have a proper burial, then I say better the miscarriage than he, for it comes in futility and it goes into obscurity, and its name is covered in obscurity. It never sees the sun and it never knows anything. It is better off than he. Even if the other man lives a thousand years twice and does not enjoy good things, do not all go to one place? All a man's labor is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage does the poor man have, knowing how to walk before the living? What the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. This too is futility and a striving after wind. Whatever exists has already been named, and it is known what man is. For he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is. For there are many words which increase futility. What then is the advantage to a man? For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life? He will spend them like a shadow. For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? Thus is the reading of God's word. So we've come here to the, the middle of the book of Ecclesiastes. And though we've, we've arrived here in the middle chapter, Solomon continues part of the theme of the last chapter, which is the gain of profit by, by wicked means. And that's what we looked at uh, the week before last. Um, or even if not by wicked means... Uh, that that man profits. It's the desire of men to want to store up riches in a, a wicked manner. And as I mentioned, uh, Solomon is, is well qualified to speak on the issue, as he was incredibly wealthy, and we, we looked at that. And the warning that Solomon gave and continues to give all throughout the, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is, is present here again, and we'll hear this over and over as we continue to go through Ecclesiastes, is really to be content in God's providence, to be content in what God has given us, because we're not owed that, that everything that we have is a good gift of God, and we are to be content in that, and also to enjoy what God has given us, to enjoy his good gifts. And speaking of contentment, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, 8 through 10, he says, if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Now those two are pretty basic things, food and covering. We can be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith 
and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now that is a certainly a grievous thing that men have gone after money that have been so consumed with the love of money that they've even fallen away from the faith because of that pursuit of the love for money. And this is the mindset which we are to have if we want to live uh, pleasing to the Lord and a fulfilling life, not to be consumed with the riches of the world, but with things that are eternal, things that truly matter. Well, this desire for money, or really, we could apply this to anything in life, uh, the desire for anything that you don't have or that you believe you need more of or you believe that you're owed, is called covetousness. It's something that you think that you are owed. And this is truly a, a serious sin. When God gave his law to, to Moses in Exodus 20 and, and Deuteronomy 5, the Ten Commandments, one, the tenth, was against coveting. And God said in Exodus twenty seventeen, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. It's such a, a serious and foundational sin that we all can commit, desiring to have more than what we have. And covetousness really is the opposite of contentment. It's thinking that you're owed more or desiring more than what God has given you. And this really is the sin behind what Solomon has been dealing with throughout Ecclesiastes, especially in the last chapter and some throughout the, the entirety of the book, and especially here in this passage. Any discontentment in the Lord's providence and where he has placed you is really to covet. Any discontentment in where you are is really coveting, thinking that you are owed more than what you have, or that you have not done anything to be in the situation that you're in, so you should not be in that situation. You are discontent with, really, God's providence. Well, looking at the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith in the, the larger catechism, or the Westminster Sanders larger catechism, question 147 says, what are the duties required in the Tenth Commandment? It says, the duties required in the Tenth Commandment are such a full contentment with our own condition and such a, a charitable frame of the whole soul toward our neighbor as that all our inward motions and affections touching them tend unto and further all that good which is his. So it, it is to be content. And what, what are the sins forbidden in the Tenth Commandment, which is the 148th question? The sins forbidden in the Tenth Commandment are discontentment with our own estate, envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor, together with all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. So it is to be discontent with where you are in life right now. To covet really is to have an unlawful desire for something that doesn't belong to you. That's what it means to covet. And it's, it's really not limited to money, uh, as we've seen in Exodus 20, 17, but here in our text, he is talking about money, but 
It's important to know the underlying sin here, which is coveting. But a person can covet all sorts of things, fame and prestige, material things, good looks, your neighbor's good providence or salary. All these things can be forms of of coveting, and we need to watch for those things in our own lives and our own hearts. But Solomon really is talking here about riches. Now, Charles Bridges quotes one old preacher who said of coveting, that it makes a man miserable because riches are not meant to make a man happy. And unless felicity were to be bought with money, he is a vain person who admires heaps of gold and rich possessions. And we've seen that throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, all these pursuits that Solomon has has gone after, and, and we've said over and over that none of these earthly pursuits can fulfill a man because they were never intended to. Only God can fulfill a man. But here again, we see riches trying to fulfill a man. And of course, we know that, according to Solomon, that this is a foolish, a vain endeavor. This has really been Solomon's message throughout all of Ecclesiastes, that that the pursuits that men chase will be unfulfilling. There are some things that money cannot buy. Money cannot buy peace. Money cannot buy joy. Money cannot buy love. Money cannot buy any of the fruit of the Spirit. Money can't improve your standing in eternity. You can't have a big big enough bank account that will get you closer to God. God is not a judge that can be bought off. When you stand before God, Your bank account won't matter. He's not a a corrupt judge where you can just slip some money and then you can get into the gates of heaven. It doesn't work like that. So God, God is not like that. Money cannot buy you more time. It doesn't matter how much money is in your bank account. It will not give you a second more time on this earth than what God has already decreed for you. So those are kind of the the foundational uh, things of of the pursuit of money and the ways that money can't fulfill. And this is what Solomon has realized over and over again. So let's look at our text here in verses 1 through 2. Verses 1 and 2. It says, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men, a man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing, of all that he desires, yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a severe affliction. So Solomon notes that this is something that is persistent or prevalent among men. And I think we all have seen many, many men who have chased riches in this life, and they may have gained many riches in this life, and yet their soul is is restless. Solomon notes this. Now, I want you to notice the the contrast between the first two verses uh, of our passage this morning and the two verses in chapter uh, 5, verses 18 through 19. Those verses say, which is what we looked at last time, here's what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and to enjoy oneself, in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun, 
during the few years of his life which God has given him. This is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. So that was just two verses ago. And, and he talks about God has given these things, that riches, uh, that riches can be a gift to men, and that he's empowered men to be able to, to gain from their riches, to, to eat from their wealth, and to enjoy him. But here, it's, it's quite different. Uh, you still have God giving men riches, because that's in his providence, that's where riches come from. But in, in verse 19, it says that the wealth that is given to man is a gift for him to enjoy. That was chapter 5. But here, Solomon says that the riches that God has given has really become a curse to this man. This man who desires riches more than anything else in this life has become a curse. Now, we typically don't think of, of riches being a curse, do we? We think of riches being able to mostly solve many of our problems. But here to this man in chapter 6, it really is a curse. It's something that's detrimental to him. The fact that he has riches and the fact that he desires more is not a blessing, even though God gives riches as blessings, but it is a curse for him. And instead of enjoying it himself, it says a stranger will end up enjoying it. So what I find about this, this whole idea of, of riches and, and wealth, uh, it, it's interesting how Scripture uses this here and how we can view riches, or really any gift that God gives men. As I said, we often think of, of people who are wealthy as being blessed by God. But it's not quite that simple, and Solomon makes that clear here. He says that God has given the riches to the man in chapter 6. Well, if course he did, right? It is God who gives everything, and it is God who takes away. Since God has sovereignly decreed all that comes to pass, and everything is part of his providence, of course it includes those who become rich in this life. That doesn't happen outside of the will of God. But in here in chapter 6, God has not granted the man the ability to enjoy what we commonly think of as a gift. This man can't enjoy his riches. Now, we're not told explicitly why God has not granted it to this man to enjoy it, but that really isn't the focus of the, of, of the passage. The focus is the fact that there are men who have riches, who have incredible amounts of wealth, and yet they can't enjoy it. Now, Jay Adams does give some suggestions of possible reasons why this man can't enjoy it. He says it, it could be that, as we've seen, things in and of themselves have no capacity for causing happiness. And we know that to be the case. There are many things that we have that we think will make us happy, but they don't make us happy. And that's, again, been one of the focal points of, of Solomon's uh, book here. And there are some who are rich that are happy enough, and some that are miserable. So if riches were intended to make us happy, every rich person should be happy. But there are many who are miserable. 
And Solomon has labored so much thus far to prove that the things of this world cannot provide such happiness. Another possibility is that additional responsibilities and sorrows often come with a massive increase in money. For the, the vast majority of issues, becoming wealthy will not solve them. We still have our issues, but we may have more money. But that money can't solve those issues. Even for those who have been irresponsible with their money and have found themselves in crippling debt cannot be helped by wealth because they will squander that money. This is a habitual problem, so money can't solve that. Similar to power and authority, becoming rich often magnifies troubles instead of minimizing them. It could be that envy has robbed the person of his enjoyment of, of riches. And we've seen that uh, in Ecclesiastes. Or it could be that death will claim a person before he can enjoy it, which we have also seen previously. So there, there are many reasons why a person may not find joy in, in money, in riches. But re really, regardless of the reason, we know that God has ordained those who are rich to be rich, and he has ordained ordained it so that they will not enjoy it. But it really is man's coveting heart that, that hinders them from that enjoyment. This is, this is quite a punishment levied, if you think about it, that God has given this man in chapter 6 a great amount of riches, unbelievable riches, and it really was a curse to him, that it did not give him any satisfaction in this life because all he could think of was, I need that number to be bigger. He can't recognize the gift that God has given him. Well, Solomon continues here in verses 3 through 5. He says, If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many lives, however many they be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things, and he does not even have a proper burial, then I say, better the miscarriage than he. For it comes in futility, and it goes into obscurity. And its name is covered in obscurity. It never sees the sun and it never knows anything. It is better off than he. So really, a life, a life that, is, that is lived for the vanity of riches is, is so vain, is so empty, it's, it's so futile, that he concludes that it's, it's better to have really died early than to suffer the pains of, of this world to be discontent and then die. Now that is a harsh statement, but it is a true statement. Better is a man to have never been born than to be born, be so discontent in God's providence, suffer all the pains of this world, not having God, and then die. But we do see here another seemingly seemingly blessing from, from God. In, in chapter 6, the man here is given multitudes of children, which is a cause for joy, right? Multitude of children is a, a cause for, for joy. We're told in Psalm 127, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. 
Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so too are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies at the gate. Really, when you read throughout the Old Testament and even the New, take note of how many people plead to God for children. Children are a blessing from the Lord. But here in chapter 6, just like riches and just like wealth, which also is a, a blessing, children are a blessing, this man cannot even enjoy children. The rich man who places all of his passion and his pleasure and fulfillment in the, the riches of this world will never recognize this fact, that, that being wealthy, being rich is a blessing from God, and that having children is a, a blessing from God. He can only see his riches. So th this really is a man who is consumed with riches, consumed with gaining everything that he can gain in this life. Now the text says of, of this man that he was born in futility and goes into obscurity. Now in some translations, the word used for obscurity here is darkness. And really the idea, the point of this, this passage is that this man, the chapter 6 man, has entered the world with nothing and he ultimately leaves in a meaningless fashion. So he, he enters into futility and he leaves in obscurity. His life really didn't amount to much of anything, even though he was rich, even though he was wealthy. He may have been well known. But Solomon says his life is basically meaningless. He, he dies into obscurity. And it's interesting that Solomon even says that he didn't have a decent burial. You think about that. This is a very, very rich man, and he has multitudes of children, and he didn't have a decent burial. Now, that sounds strange, but why is that? Well, it could be that he was so absorbed with, with his riches that he's pushed everyone away. And you could think back a few lessons when I mentioned the miser, which which is a man who has sacrificed everything and everyone to gain his riches. This is a man who's consumed with uh, the pursuit of riches, and he will do anything he can to get them. He will push everyone away. He lives for himself. This is who's being talked about. It says, a man like that, though he may be wealthy, will soon be forgotten. The miser will be forgotten. It's been a tradition in for my wife, and it's, it's somewhat of mine now. Uh, we're not always faithful to do this, but around Christmas time, we typically watch Jimmy Stewart's It's a Wonderful Life. I love that movie. Uh, now, there are some obvious uh, theological problems with that movie, but it's a, <laughs> it's a good movie. It's a good movie. I won't fight anyone on that, but it's, I like it. Uh, but in that movie, there is an incredibly wealthy man named Mr. Potter, and Mr. Potter really is the villain of the story. Now, what do we know about Mr. Potter? Mr. Potter has riches galore. He has everything. He owns half the town, and he continues to own more and more of the town. He has all the money that he could ever want, and he is really willing to ruin any life that he can to, to get more 
to gain more money. Potter thinks that the world revolves around him and his money. And he even admits, this, this is a very telling phrase of the miser, the person that's kind of like here in chapter 6. Potter says that most people hate him, but he really doesn't care because he hates them too. That, that's a phrase in the movie. That, that he's like, most people hate me, but I don't care because I hate them too. He has no family. His health is really poor. He is hated because he has this money and he will squander it and he will destroy anyone in his path. But he has his money and he's happy that he has his money. Well, the reality is that Mr. Potter, similar to this man in Ecclesiastes 6, he will be forgotten rather quickly after his death. That the only remembrance of Mr. Potter is that of Wow, that was a wicked man. That guy was really a, a villain. That he really did a, a major harm to the people around him. Though he was rich, he was hated because of his wickedness. So e even if he is remembered, or the man in Ecclesiastes 6 here is remembered, it will be for their, for their miserliness, if that's such a word, or for their wickedness rather than the good that he has done with the money that God has given him. He's really squandered that opportunity. And th this type of man, according to Solomon, would have been better off to have never been born, to have never breathed the second on this earth. It is better to have not lived at all than to live such an unfulfilling and dreadful life. Continuing in verses 6 and seven, it says, even if the other man lives a thousand years twice and does not enjoy good things, do not all go to one place? All a man's labor is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not satisfied. So again, you have another sign that usually signifies God's blessing, which is a long life. So we've seen three things in this passage, this man in Ecclesiastes 6, three things that he has that we commonly think of as blessings. He has riches, he has a family, and he has a long life. Now, if we looked at a man like that, we would say, well, he's really blessed by God. I bet he thanks God every day when he wakes up and when he goes to bed. But that's not the case at all. For a man described here in this text, long life is but a curse to him. It's not a blessing. It's a, a curse. Long life does typically signify the blessing of God, but here it is, it is not a blessing. Here it, it only extends his miseries and makes his life a longer existence of vanity. So he, he can't find any satisfaction. And now even his long life has become a curse. So I ask, what, what profit is there for a man who lives a thousand years and knows not Christ? What if a man lives two thousand years and has all the riches in the world and has as many children as he could ever want and has everything in this life, but he knows not Christ? What benefit has he had in this life? One could ask, has this person ever really lived or has he been dead his whole life? 
the final earthly destination for all people, as mentioned here by Solomon, is the same. All go to the grave. The, the rich man, the poor man, every man, every woman goes to the grave. That is life under the sun and under the, the curse. A man can labor a thousand years and not be filled. Here in verse 7, a man could labor for his mouth and not be filled. He is not satisfied with the works of his hand. The illusion being made is, is really to all of life. Just as a man who solely labors to, to feed his mouth cannot be satisfied once and for all, so too his pursuits of riches and all vain things can't satisfy under the sun. Uh, looking at uh, verses 9 through 10, it says, For what advantage does the man, the wise man, have over the fool? What advantage does the poor man have knowing how to walk before the living? What the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. This too is futility and a striving after wind. And we've heard this talk from Solom Solomon before, and we'll hear it again and again. What advantage does the wise have over the fool, or, or the rich over, over the poor. Again, this is life under the sun and, and under the curse. What is the real gain being made by such people who labor for things that are so transient, things that are, are fading away in this temporary life? What advantage is there? Even the poor who, who learns to walk among people with dignity, as mentioned here, if his desires are the pleasures of this world, does he not suffer the same fate as the rich? So, so again, we have this idea, you know, rich being a blessing, a poor typically thought of as being cursed by God. That's not the case at all. And especially under the sun, the rich and the poor go to the same place. So what advantage does the rich man have over the poor if we live for temporary things. There's no advantage. So Solomon concludes here that it's, it's better to be satisfied with what you can see, that is, what you, what you have, than chasing after wandering desires. It's like, what do you have? Think about what you have in your life, what you can see, what, what you own. Can you be content in that? Can you have happiness in what God has given you? Now, that's not to say that, that you can't get more things, that you can't have more things, that you can't increase your bank account or anything like that. But can you be content in the day-to-day -day things that God has given you? Can you be content in his providence? This really is something to learn, isn't it? that you have to learn to be content. That it's not something that just comes naturally to us to be content. Paul, again from 1 Timothy 6, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. That is contentment in God's providence. Now, Dr. Sproul notes in his commentary, 
He says, these verses bring the preachers, that is Solomon's search for escape from life's vanity to a close on a note of frustration that results from always wanting more. Not even the good gifts of God can finally satisfy the soul. Ultimately, the only gift of God himself can. That's important. That not even the gifts of God, not even the things that God has given us, cannot satisfy us. What can satisfy us? God, himself, alone. That even in the good gifts, though we are thankful for them, though we can be content in them, we cannot be satisfied in them. Those are extra. Finally, looking here at uh, 10 through 12, it says, Whatever exists has already been named, and it is known what man is, for he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is. For there are many words which increase futility. What then is the advantage to a man? For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life? He will spend them like a shadow. For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? It's said of these verses that Solomon really is reviewing here the, the result of his long and extensive inquiry, that, that everything that he's examined so far, this is, this is kind of a review. And at the beginning of our study, I, I've said that there are so many parts of Ecclesiastes as we go through them. Sometimes it feels like they could jump around a bit, and sometimes they do. But throughout the book, he'll kind of stop and he'll pause and he'll review and remind the reader that these things are vanity, that all that we do in life, if it's not for God's glory, is vanity. And he's calling back to that again. Uh, the psalmist of, of chapter 39, verse 5 says, Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is but a mere breath. Now, it's important to note that nothing he does can bring him in communion with the Almighty other than Christ, this man in Ecclesiastes 6. None of his pursuits, none of his belongings, as I said, can increase his standing before God. They cannot give him joy, which we're going to hear about in the sermon. The, the source of joy is Christ, is salvation from God. Now, there are countless people who chase the things of this world and they claim a manner of, of religiousness. But whatever this, whatever this is will not bring him to God. They, you, you cannot truly have the Christian faith and continue to chase the vain things of this world. Verse 11 really emphasizes an important point. Now, Charles Bridges points out that no fruit of happiness can be found in this world's vanity. That no fruit of happiness can be found in this world's vanity. And this vanity is really nothing new, but it's existed since the fall of man. But here's a question. Who can tell such a man this thing? This, this man of Ecclesiastes 6. Who can... Who can truly talk to him about these things? 
Can you tell a man what is good if he's consumed by his riches or another vain pursuit? You can talk to him all you want, but he won't listen. Can you explain to him that his life is but a shadow and is shortly lived? You can't tell him that. You can, but you won't listen. Can you correct such a man? Can you tell a man of his eternity? Well, let me ask, what is necessary for him to really get it? Redemption. He must be born of God. And this is where Solomon is going to continue to land over and over and over again. Contentment in this life is the person of Jesus Christ. It is looking to God and being content in him, not in the riches of this world, not in even his blessings, in the things that God has given us that are good. We cannot find our fulfillment in children, in possessions, in power, anything, in, in our jobs. It must be in Christ. Well, that ends chapter 6. Do we have any questions or comments or anything? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes. We pray that uh, you would uh, continue to deliver us from all of our coveting ways. Help us to truly be content in your providence, to love you first and foremost, and to look to you as our ultimate source and fulfillment of, of joy, happiness, peace, contentment, love, all good things so that we, we look toward you for that. Uh, now we pray that you would uh, bless our service, help us to be glorifying to you, and uh, use it to edify and encourage us. In Christ's name we pray.